Good morning. It is Saturday, November 7th, 2020, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors of Airmail. At least I think that's what my name is. That's still your name. Look, Michael, we are bringing you guys a politics-free podcast today. We've been spending 28 hours on average every day refreshing our various news websites, and we're not doing it right now. We are just going to talk about other things. Yeah, I think it is uh, a little pause that refreshes your, your sort of um, your t- time to get some well-needed, pleasant, smart cultural diversions. Here you are. After sleeping for about 14 hours total in the last two weeks, I took about $88 worth of CBD oil last night. <laughs> Feeling pretty, pretty good this morning, Michael. Got a lot of energy and I am really excited to talk about things that are not happening in the United States. I welcome that and I think... Things that are not happening in the United States, but also things that have a known outcome, right? And a known plot line is what I'm being attracted to these days. Yeah, me too. In other words, historical stuff. Okay, so we're going to do what we always do when times are difficult. We're going to delve into some historical fiction or some, I don't know if it's even that. Michael, let's talk about the real news story, okay? The crown is back. The crown is back. I mean, by the way, this is a storyline I'm eager for, not just because I love this show and it's entering season four, but because I kind of know, even though I don't know all of it, I know where it's going to lead. And so I get my suspense, but I also have a sort of controlled suspense. And I think that's what I'm sort of looking forward to right now. And we've got a great, great, great story in airmail this week about what to expect in season four and who's playing who. Some of the great details behind the show we all, we all come to be very addicted to. So, Michael, let's talk about this actress playing Princess Diana. Right. So this season, among the plot lines that Peter Morgan, the creator, is bringing in, the show is moving closer to the world we may have grown up in, some of us, uh, or at least remember. But you've got Diana Spencer appearing, we can later princess, got Margaret Thatcher coming on the scene. The woman playing Diana is a 24-year-old unknown named Emma Corrin. Not only a dead ringer for her, but she's the one sort of stepping into gigantic shoes in this this season. Speaking of the fashion this season, we have another story in the issue by Alexandra Shulman. Hi, Alex. About Anna Mason, who's this designer out of London that I can't get enough of her style. And Alex made this great point that she designs clothes that really look like something you would see in this current season of The Crown. So if anyone's looking for a little fashion inspiration, look no further. Well, if you want fashion, you're going to get it in in this episode of The Crown, in the season of The Crown, because Peter Morgan, the, the the creator and writer of the show, you know, everyone always asks him, do you get input from the palace? Do you get input from people who worked for the royal family? And he's always very, I mean, no. You know, I draw most, most of my stuff from history, of course, but he says, I do rely on people who may have intersected. And one of the scenes you're going to see in this season is, of course, the wedding we all watched around the world of Charles and Diana in St. Paul's, where she wears that fantastic white dress. 75,000 pearls on that dress, Michael. But who's counting? But he, of course, he couldn't use the real dress. But what he did do was he found David Emanuel, who designed Diana's original dress. And he had in-depth conversations with the Crown's costume designers and sort of guided them through how to replicate that dress for that episode. So it's fantastic. I think one of the other great women appearing this season is Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of the Iron Lady show, comes on the scene, played by none other than, you might remember from the best from the X-Files, Gillian Anderson, who dons a very 
intricate, lacquered up, sort of bouffant hairstyle of the prime minister. So you're going to see also now here the first female prime minister now coming up against the queen. And so it's like women, woman to woman, which is going to be, I think, a fantastic dynamic to watch unfold this season. My crown obsession has gone so deep that this morning I found myself reading my five-year-old daughter a book called Who Was Princess Diana? And she's very fascinated by princesses, as you can imagine. I read the entire book, like in the course of an hour, it was fascinating. And by the end of the thing, I'm sitting there bawling. Did you cry at Diana's funeral? Just bringing up the words Diana's funeral makes me a bit misty-eyed. So this hits home for me. Maybe I'm a little emotional this week, perhaps more so than usual, but that's probably a good sign. If you like Diana, you're going to get plenty of her in this season. And I think the other good news is Peter Morgan had sort of said for a while he was going to end the show pretty soon. Now it seems that he's going to push it even further up to the modern era. He has said that it's creeping closer to the modern day and it's going to be ending probably in the 2000s. So it's going to take in Charles and Diana's divorce. It's probably going to look at the death of Diana, Margaret and the Queen Mother, and also the marriage of Charles and Camilla. As I said, this is the kind of thing I want to watch on TV right now. This is the kind of thing I do want to spend eight hours watching because as sort of dramatic as it is, at least I know the outcome. Yeah. And there's some breaking news on this front. I was reading yesterday in the news that the BBC has now committed to investigating fresh evidence relating to the methods that uh, Bashir used to land that incredibly explosive interview with Princess Diana in 1995. Diana's brother, Earl Spencer, gave the BBC a, quote, dossier of evidence. They recently gave them evidence that Bashir forged documents that showed Diana's brother that people in the household were, were, were leaking information. Bashir is seriously ill. They're going to hold an investigation into these new issues, but a 25-year-old interview is still making waves. And really only in the realm of the crown does that sort of thing happen. Yeah. Falls under the headline, palace intrigue, right? Palace intrigue, indeed. Michael, <laughs> speaking of another kind of intrigue, we've got some real escapism coming your way, guys. Two words, David Sedaris. And I am so excited that we have him on the podcast today. Whenever I need a laugh, whenever I need a smile... Whenever I need some escapism, and we've been needing plenty of all of those things in the past few weeks, I turn to David's books, uh, especially his essays. Around the holidays, it is, of course, The Santaland Diaries, in my opinion, one of the best essays of all time. I'm going to say that. And then um, I love Calypso. I mean, nobody makes me laugh quite like David Sedaris. And yeah, I had the pleasure of speaking to him this week. We have a story, a little Q&A with him in the issue sort of went a little deeper here on the podcast. So he's he's out with his new book, which you'll all love. It's called The Best of Me, a kind of collection of the best of his stuff over the past few years. Let's get him on the show. So, David, it's been a crazy week. Obviously, lots to think about. But I want to ask you right away, do you feel that in America here, we've lost a degree of our civility or our manners or our sort of way of, of treating each other? I mean, one thing I, I realize when I come to the United States is how friendly Americans are. Mm -hmm. You know, especially where I live now in the south of England. If I see somebody standing in front of their house, and I live in the country, and I walk by and I say hello, they will turn their back on me. And it was the same when I lived in Normandy. It's I don't know what people are so afraid of. I think that individually, Americans are still pretty kind and civil. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I was just noticing all of the all of the Trump flags flying on cars here. And it used to I think people are less inclined to put 
bumper stickers on their cars now because their car will be disfigured, you know, defaced, yeah, or, scratched up, or, or, or run off the road or something. Yeah, but people have those flags. But I noticed the flags are just on really massive cars and trucks. And maybe you just have to be a massive car or trunk in order to support one. But I thought it's such a archaic sort of notion of masculinity, you know, that you drive this big thing. And so that makes you more manly than somebody who drives like a little electric car. Are you suggesting people would actually overcompensate for something by the, <laughs> the size of something they choose to wrap around themselves when they move through the world? I don't understand what you're saying. It's a novel, I know. You know? It's just, I think it's a real, real reach, David. I don't, I don't know if I see it. What would you define as a snob nowadays? Because, again, it, it goes back to almost the culture wars, but like one snob. How would you define a snob? Well, you know, I don't think I have to look any further than myself, really. I think <laughs> I've become a horrible snob. And I'm looking through all, I'm looking through diaries. I'm putting out the second volume of a diary collection. Mm-hmm. And so I've been going through diaries from 2003 through 2020, and I'm aghast at what a snob I've become. Part of it is because I go on these tours, and so I stay in hotels, and of course I stay in nice hotels, right? I mean, there was was somebody else who my agent represents, and he just only will stay at the Holiday Inn Express because they're all the same, and he likes to drive his car there, and he can – and I – I mean, I would never stay at the Holiday Inn Express. I mean, sometimes you go to a town and you don't really have a choice, but so I have to stay at the Holiday Inn Express, but then I complain every moment that I'm there. I mean, I found in my diary, this is awful. (laughs) You know, like people hang those seasonal flags in their yards now, right? Right, right. Like there are a lot down here that says, happy fall, y'all, and (laughs) welcome fall. And you see them for Easter and you see them welcoming spring. And I think that they're a way of, and I'd written in my diary that they're a way of telling passing thieves that you that there's you have nothing of value in your house. <laughs> like, that is so sloppy. Because because you have no so taste. Sloppy. Yeah, because you have no taste. It's basically a sign that says taste free zone. Yeah. I mean that's snobby. So I'm afraid I, I just maybe I was always this way, but I don't see it as a good quality in myself, but I, I definitely see it there. And I think, wow, I've really got to, really got to do something about that. I got into kind of a trouble in England because I was invited to testify before the house of commons mm-hmm. about litter. Right. And I was talking to the, in the chamber about what I find. Right. Cause I tend to find the same things over and over again. When, when you're doing your pickups on the side of the road. Yeah. Right. And I said, let's just say I'm not finding a lot of opera tickets. <laughs> such, such the wrong thing to say. <laughs> I mean, it is true. You know, I, well, I opera find... tickets are small. OK, they're small. It's, it's like finding, you know, a dry cleaning stub. It'd be pretty small. Right. But I mean, I can't tell you how many lottery tickets I find. You know, okay. I mean, they, they, they've already been scratched off and they're losing numbers. But I find, you know, countless lottery tickets. So uh, even that, the way that it was phrased was just, I just, it just, it just came out. I've never been to the opera. I don't, I don't know anything about it. You know, what I was saying, too, is that I don't find anything that real food came in. Right? Like not a container, even, I mean, not even a package that peanuts were in. Right. You know, or almonds. It's, it's always candy or potato chips or 
you know, okay, you've gone too far. Drink, you've or... gone too far. Crisps are real food in the UK. Let's just get that straight, okay? That's a food group, right? They're like meals in space. I mean, they have <laughs> Thanksgiving. Uh, I mean, they have turkey with stuffing. is a, is a flavor of potato chips that I've seen in England. <laughs> so you should have brought some of that back for Thanksgiving now. I don't like any kind of a flavored potato chip. No, not even like... And I also don't like that cheddar popcorn. Like, I've just, over the couple, past couple of years, I just discovered popcorn in a bag. Yeah. And I absolutely love popcorn in a bag. But on a plane, they handed out cheddar popcorn, and it smelled like I had um, farted into my hand. It just makes your hand stink. So I know somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I'll only eat those with chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a definition of a snob. Speaking of walking, are you still wearing your Fitbit? So I've walked eight miles so far today, but... The day's young. Do you take a little water pack with you when you're walking? So this whole idea that you have to drink like a quart of water every day, it's just bullshit. If you're in a nice hotel, they're offering you water constantly, constantly. right? But then when you're leaving, when I leave the hotel, they say, do you need a, a bottle of water for your trip to the airport? And I always say, I'm not walking. <laughs> this, car, this car is going to take me. I think I'll be okay. Right. Well, and then there's then there's the virtue signaling of like, do you carry your own? Do you buy bottles of water? And then you're a plastic person, or do you have your like special non-plastic water bottle that you carry around? Which like I'm like, are you four years old then? And you like I don't understand that either, right? Well, I've been scolded before because when I go on tour, okay, like the past year I've had two glasses of water, but if I go on when I'm on tour, you know, there's water at the podium, and you know. There's just water at the signing table and, you know, people are constantly supplying you with water. And I've been scolded because it's a plastic bottle of water and they say you should have them provide you with a pitcher of water. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't need the bottle, but I don't know if that means I have to travel with my own pitcher or that you, it just leads to a million questions. Like what color pitcher? Do you, you want a glass pitcher or a plastic pitcher? Then the David Sedaris rider gets really complicated. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just... It's, <laughs> You know, then then we go from snob to diva, and it's a very it's a very slippery slope, you know. But like the last time I had a bottle of water, I still have that bottle. I mean, I don't. I fill it up again from the tap. When you say when you say you've been, does that mean like someone emailed you later or said like in one of your readings, like by the did they shame you because the bottle of water was there or? Yeah, so, so yeah. That, they'll say I saw you drinking from a bottle of water on stage, and you shouldn't do that. So that 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 just again, confirms what you say in your introduction that, you know, the internet has created this world where anyone can complain or shame anyone about anything, right? They can just... Well, I wrote something in The New Yorker a couple of years ago about undecided voters. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was... there. There's like a paragraph of it that could apply to any election, any time. Because those undecided voters, they just want attention. You know, <laughs> like when you see people, oh, I haven't made up my mind yet who I'm going to vote for then you probably shouldn't vote. If you haven't made up your mind between Trump and Biden, you you really have no business voting, you know. Right. There was just like a paragraph in that, that that's easily taken out and it can apply to any elect, any election, right? So I guess it, and it gets tweeted around a lot at election time. So my sister Amy showed me, it was somewhere or other, it had been repeated. And somebody wrote, took me to task for gendering the flight attendant. Because I said the flight attendant come, came around and she asked. So apparently you're just supposed to say the flight attendant came around and asked. But I don't see why not. What's wrong with knowing that the flight attendant's a female? 
or or a male. I don't, I don't I don't see. I'm trying to paint a picture here, so I don't understand what's wrong with that. I am not authorized to answer those questions by the uh, world we live in, but I will give you my example that I'm waiting for this to happen because, again, you and I, I think, are of a similar age and generation. So I just was in the store before I came here. I was picking up something uh, at, the, at the pharmacy, and as the pharmacist gave it to me, I, I said, he said, is there anything else you need? I said, no, sir, thank you, right? Which is how you and I were raised to speak to people, right? But, yeah. you, but you know, at some point, I know someone's going to say, don't call me sir or don't call me, you know, miss or something. Right? You know, like, and, and you, that, so I know I'm going to get hammered on that. That's when you change it to sweetheart because sweetheart, <laughs> sweetheart works for a man or a woman. Well, maybe down south. I'm not sure. I'm so sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe here in the village where I live, but yeah. <laughs> Although, although I will say then when I was walking out of the, I was walking out of the pharmacy, it was Big Lowe's. If you know, I'm sure you know where that is. Oh yeah, it's right around the corner from your sister. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm coming out the door, and there's a guy in front of me with one of those like roller walkers, right, old man. And I, he's in front of me. He's like having trouble hold, opening the door. So I, you know, you, know, you reach over them and hold the door open from behind, right? He doesn't acknowledge me, and that's fine. I don't expect him to. White haired guy. But then out in front, there's a woman begging. With, you know, with a cup waving it. And the guy, as he rolls his little rascally thing or whatever past her, <laughs> turns to her and he says, and right, I swear to God, he says, he says, why don't you go home and do something with your life, you lazy <laughs> Oh, that's great. And I was like, well, you're welcome. I, maybe I should have, but who are you going to vote for tomorrow? Just be... Can I take you to the polls? I don't know what I should do. So. Oh, that's great. And I love that you've done him a favor. <laughs> exactly. It was like, I just gave him a little more oxygen. Why did I do that? I should have pinched the tube. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's good. That would be a good little assignment, wouldn't it? To name mobility carts. You know, one of the things I did in my dad's came to North Carolina to do was to empty some stuff out of my dad's house. Uh-huh. And there was bubble wrap and there was newspaper, but we ran out of it. And incontinence diapers are really good for wrapping stuff. We learned that. Yeah. They are in our future. If you live long enough. My dad is 97. And when people say, oh, my God, bless his heart. You know, that's so wonderful. I don't think my dad wants to be 97. Okay, here's an important question then. How would you like it to end? Well, I'm like everybody, you know, I just like to go to bed and die in my sleep. I always thought I was going to die when I was 62, because that's how old my mother was when she died. Mm-hmm. And Philip Larkin thought he was going to die when he was 63, because that's how old his dad was when he died. Mm-hmm. And then he actually did. He died when he was 63. I think maybe like, you know, 86. Because oh. you can still live at home when you're 86, and you can still, you know, you can still do a lot of things, and you don't necessarily have to wear diapers yet. Is there a song you would play at your funeral? Gosh, we were at the beach about a month ago, and all of a sudden I remembered that song, Bring on those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. I would think I would want that played at my funeral. <laughs> no matter what season I died. Well, it would make you stop and think, like, really, that? Like, I don't even think the guy who wrote that wanted it played at his funeral. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Dr. Sedaris. <laughs>
This has been fun. I want to be respectful, not of you, but of your time. And uh, thank you. Okay, that was David Sedaris. David, again, thank you for being here. The book is wonderful. As we say, perfect diversion. He's a god among men. I'm going to say that. He's a god among men. And they are words of comfort and uh, words of um, uh, that will just, Calgon, take me away of what they, what they will do for you. You know, honestly, Michael, who else is going to have their own tumor removed from their body and then feed it to a sea turtle? Okay, Dad's David Sedaris. He's doing God's work. When I told Ashley that I was going to interview him for the issue as well as the podcast, how would you describe your reaction? I fangirled out, and I'm not ashamed of it. Whenever I read his work, I think if I could write one sentence this funny, I would consider myself to be a successful writer. David Sedaris writes thousands of sentences that funny all the time. I mean, he's just such an intimidating character, Michael. I'm actually glad I didn't get to interview him because I would have probably been rendered speechless. I would agree with you. And I would say like intimidation would be a feeling I had going into it. But I would say I'm happy to report to everyone that, you know, the old maxim, you don't want to meet your heroes, does not apply here. David is, I, I think, as you heard on the, on, on the interview, Kind, generous, open, funny. Michael, you know what kills me about him is that he has this expository style of writing. It's very stream of consciousness. It meanders from one topic to another. And it seems so effortless. And so I've occasionally over the course of my writing career had this moment where I thought, God, I'd love to write something in the vein of that. Like, why don't I try to do that style? Because I sort of feel like I think the way that he writes, but that's the genius of what he does is that everybody thinks the way that he writes. But when you sit down and actually try to write it yourself, it's nearly impossible. I really don't know how he does it. It's a particular type of genius and it's so much fun to live in his world. And we're so happy he came on the show. Absolutely. Speaking of worlds, Ashley. Yes. That we want to keep sort of like finding inspiration in and sort of transporting us out of this world we're in this week. You also had a brief Q&A this week with Christian Nubatan, who sort of gives us places that we should be thinking about that we can, that can transport us. And I love this piece of what you got out of him. You know, we're, we're really hitting the news issues of the day. Like, screw the ballots. We're talking to Christian Louboutin. He has a new collection of fragrances, and we're getting to the heart of the matter. I love Christian Louboutin. Talk about like a joy of fashion. I mean, this guy has had it. He makes women happy every single day. And when you put on his shoes, you just can't help but feel good. And his beauty collection is the same way. I'm not really a fragrance person. I am a red lipstick person, but actually, you know, we need to get Maureen Dowd some of these lipsticks. Maureen to me sort of sets the standard for red lipstick and we need to get her some of Christian's new lipsticks because they're matte, not glossy. They're like something, a screen siren. It's like a Rita Hayworth look brought to 2020. Anyway, it was really great to have Christian in the issue. He has all kinds of funny talk about, you know, what he's working on, what he's loving right now. And it turns out he's building a hotel in Portugal and it's going to open next year. I think it was delayed a bit due to COVID. But Christian's world is definitely one that I want to live in. And if I can't live there, I might as well visit for a few days on my next trip to Europe. I like that he recommended a couple of great places to go in Paris, one of which I know. Oh, Divalac? Well, no, his, his dinner, one of his favorite places for dinner is Bistro Volnay. Oh, yeah. Divalac was really good too. Yeah, so tell us about Divalac. This is his favorite fish restaurant on the weekend. Yeah, it's a super uh, glam fish restaurant in the seventh. It's pretty new, I think. I wouldn't see you at any other place in Paris, Ashley, than a super <laughs> glam in the seventh. Yeah, you know, Michael, I'm such a cheese ball. Whenever I go to Paris, I go to the same restaurant, Le Berge Bresson. It's on, on the sleepiest little neighborhood street in the seventh arrondissement. It's on um, Avenue de la Motte Piquet, and you can sort of see the Eiffel Tower in the distance, but 
The funny thing about that restaurant is when I was a student in Paris, I used to go there a lot and I would split the kennel and the French fries and it was like nine euros. And that was my idea of a fancy night out. And when I met my husband, it turns out that he also loved this restaurant and he was living in Paris at the same time. He's a few years older than me. So he was working at the time. I used to think it wasn't fashionable, but then someone told me it's Catherine Deneuve's favorite restaurant. So anyway, next time you're there, L'Auberge Poisson, just order everything on the menu, but especially the quenelle, the poulet au vin jaune, which is chicken with a yellow wine sauce, best French fries ever, and do not miss the Grand Marnier souffle. God, Michael, when are we going back to Paris again? I don't know. I don't know, but you know, look, so I, I completely endorse the idea of going to the same places in Paris. I the Paris, like, it's this balance for me of places that you always, you want to go to every time you're there and then discovering new places. So you're right. You have your routine. Like, here's one of my routines. Take the plane overnight, land, check into the hotel, drop my bags. And then I walk over to this little place called La Palette over uh, on the left bank. And what I like to do is go there, like, I get there by about 11 in the morning, and Order, order an omelet, fries. Back in the day, it used to be a nice carafe of red wine. Sit outside and just immediately, I'm immersed in Paris. Like, why eat my hotel room? I go there. So I love this place because you get this sort of high, low. You get you get neighborhood people. You get you get regular tourists and stuff. Anyway, yeah. moving on from Christian Louboutin, Michael, is there anything else from the issue we should discuss? You know, there's a small, cool thing I want to discuss, and it's a good way to just remind people it's what a fast-moving week this has been, but just a few days ago, we lost one of everyone's favorites, a giant of the last 50, 60 years, was Sir Sean Connery died. And I'm sure you've all read the obituaries on him, but there's a nice piece in the issue this week uh, written by Julia Vitale, who's our arts editor and and, uh, makes everything possible. And so much more, Julia. We don't know how you do it. And so much more. Does oversees our books with, with Jim Kelly, but sort of... Also a very fun lunch date, importantly. Yes. She is uh, the definition of non plus. You ask her to do something, like, it's just, sure, no problem. Just like that. Sure, no problem. Anyway, so you wrote a nice piece this week about a new book coming out called The Goldfinger Files. If you love James Bond, as we all do, and Goldfinger, which came out in 64, was the first, it wasn't the first Bond film, but did establish the formula for the Bond brand, starting with Connery, as I said, who died last week at age 90. It also gave the hero savvy gadgets, but what he might be remembered for most is the epic car chase involving Bond in this film, Goldfinger, in his Aston Martin DB5, as Julia writes. And it was filmed on, of course, this narrow winding roads of picturesque Switzerland in the summer of 64. And the sequence takes up about six and a half minutes in the film. And now it's the subject of this new book, Fantastic Never Before Seen Pictures by Onset Photographers, reprints of the script. So if you're missing Connery, if you're missing Bond, Great little piece by Julie about this new book and and how to go inside that unforgettable scene. Sean Connery was, again, another god among men. Yeah. That's our theme of the day. I think before we exit the issue, Michael, there's two things I want to talk about. The first is we actually have a little bit of politics in the issue. We're not going to talk about it here, but if you want to read it, that's your choice. It is very thoughtful and smart. We recommend it. It's called The View From Here, and it's written by Alessandra Stanley. We'll just leave it at that because we promised you a restorative, politics-free pod. But if you're feeling ready, it's a safe space to enter, and you're always in great hands with Alessandra. Great perspective about this week, so highly, highly recommend it. We're here for you. We're here to support. 
We're here to hold your hand through this situation. And the last thing, Michael, I'll tell you about is a, a new discovery that I've been really enjoying on Netflix. It's a television show, something I can recommend. It is called Song Exploder. Have you had a chance to watch this yet? No, because you know what I've been finding solace in this week is watching some Emily in Paris. So, okay. Oh my God, not again, Michael. Everyone out there, make me your locus for your, your upset feelings. I, I just, I'm just going to make a, a confession, okay? What is this Smarty Pants show? It's really well done, I have to say. So um, it's a new documentary show on Netflix, and it's hosted and produced by a man named Rishikesh Hurway. Uh, he was an artist and a musician himself. He composed for film and television. And then in 2014, he launched a podcast called Song Exploder. And in the podcast, he has on a guest in every episode talking about a song, uh, sort of the inception and production of a song that we all know and love. Some of my favorite episodes have been with everyone from Selena Gomez to Panda Bear, great people on it. He's taken this idea of giving the backstory behind a song and brought it to the television screen through Netflix. And it's fascinating. Uh, my son and I watched the first one together. It was with Lin-Manuel Miranda discussing how the song Wait For It came about. And it's really great. It takes you sort of, it takes you through the entire process of songwriting from coming up with the track, from generating lyrics, to coming up with a hook, to putting it all together, to producing it, to working with a musical director, to arranging it, to recording it. It gives real insight into all of the thousands of tiny pieces that make the songs that we know by heart. Cool. And it will appeal to music fans of all stripes. In the upcoming episodes, he's had everyone from Dua Lipa to Nine Inch Nails to The Killers to R.E.M., Alicia Keys, and Ty Dollar Sign. So it's fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. That's cool. I love anything that takes you inside how the artistic process happens, right? Yes. And it was a really nice respite for me from watching another documentary series that I can't seem to stop The Vow. The Vow? Have you heard, have you, oh, come on, Michael. This is the, you know, I'm obsessed with Nexium. How do you expect me to resist the vow? See how I just played straight for you? Totally. Know. You know me so well. <laughs> um, no, you guys got to watch the vow. I mean, please, this, this is such an insane period of time. There's nothing better than some good old fashioned escapism into the worlds of a sexual quasi-religious cult. No? Yeah. And again, going with my theme of like narrative, film uh, film and television stuff you know the storyline it's still a suspense but like okay i know it's gonna where like i i unlike say other things this week you're not really sure how it's gonna play out this one you you know you know it's a safe space dude's in jail for life finn exactly well michael do you have anything you can recommend before we ask you to read us out you know what i recommend tell us i, I watched neil simon's version of the odd couple oh really yeah. I, you know, I was a big fan of the show growing up as a kid, you know, with uh, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. But this one, of course, is the film adaptation of Simon's Thing. And, it's, you know, with stars Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. I, I loved it. And it, it's perfectly acted, perfectly staged. Gives you that gritty New York of the late 60s. It's, it's again, a reminder of what a great dramatist Simon was and how, how deftly he created characters and made them all funny and, and smart. It's, it's a beautiful little movie. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Now, now that we all have our marching orders for the weekend, would you please read us out? Avec plaisir, as we say. Génial. Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, 
And our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet, with special thanks to Joe Perzicki. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day, every hour. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. Finally, we'll be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, thank you for joining us.